I want to draw your attention now to a text in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And as I have said before, we kind of started on chapter 10, and uh, we're covering what is called by some a travel narrative. And it's just talking about the things that Jesus said and did as he was taking his last journey to Jerusalem. And... Uh, and here we're going to read some things in here, particularly when Jesus taught people uh, a form of praying. Uh, you say, well, I thought that was something that he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, he did. But, you know, like any teacher or preacher, quite often, he will repeat himself. If it was good enough to hear it once, it's good enough to hear it again. And so, anyway, this has to do with prayer, this whole section. And uh, let me start here. Verse one. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, well, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, he, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I guess it was about 10, 11 years ago, I decided it was time to get another truck. Uh, my, the one that I had did not have the proper safety equipment in the, whatever you want to call the back seat. Anyway, you couldn't put a, a child, you know, baby seat back there. There was no way it was going to be able to be done. My wife said, if you want your grandson to ride around with you in the pickup, you are going to have to get a different truck. So that was what I decided to do. Any excuse for getting a new pickup anyway. Anyway, and so I went to a dealership which will remain unnamed. And I went there and I looked at one. I liked the way it looked. I got in it and drove it a little bit. I liked the way it handled, liked the way it drove. We went back down and of course that's whenever the, you know, the, the car salesman, he turns on the heat lamp and gets the rubber hose out. And so he told me, he said, this is how much we'll, you know, this, we'll sell you this pickup for this amount, you know, unless you're trade in. Well, I looked at it and I thought, I thought Jesse James was dead, but no, he's still alive. And, and I said, no, 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 no. I said, that's just far more than what I would want to pay for any kind of a vehicle. And he said, well, what would it take for you to, to drive this car out of here, this pickup home today, and it would be yours? 
And I said, no. I said, why don't you tell me what your best price is? And then we'll talk about it. He said, no, go in and tell me. Tell, tell me what, what, it, what it would take for you to do that. And I said, well, I, I'm not even thinking about driving it home today. As a matter of fact, I, will, I said, you could offer this truck to me for $100, and I would not buy it today. I said, I usually don't make snap decisions. Well, I had made a mistake. You see, I let him know that he wanted to know, you know, what kind of work do you do? I said, I'm pastor at First Baptist Church in my enterprise. And so when I said that I, you know, I wasn't going to buy it today, I said, I'm not going to make a snap decision. He said, well, what are you going to do? Pray about it? And I said, yes, I am, if you want to know the truth. And uh, anyway, I didn't, I ended up not able to make a deal with him. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. But am I going to go home and pray about it? Yeah, I really did. I truly did. You know, we talk about prayer a lot, don't we? And, uh, and you know, and, and in the Christian life, prayer is such an important part of the Christian life. But why do we pray? You know, what are some of the reasons? And I can't go over them all right now. I'm going to try to go as fast as I can because I know I'm, I'm going to run in a little bit late. And, but uh, let's talk just about a couple of reasons why you pray. Number one, prayer is the way that we have fellowship with God. Think about it. Why did Jesus pray? You know, this is what started this whole thing. Jesus was praying. And this was not an unusual thing for Jesus. As a matter of fact, and I've mentioned this before, I can guarantee you that Jesus pulled several all-nighters in prayer during his three years on this earth. And he prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, during a very critical period. But why did he pray? You know, I mean, I mean, Jesus, he was the one through whom the worlds were formed. Why, why does he need to pray? Well, I'll tell you one of the reasons, and there's probably more. But Jesus prayed because he wanted to have fellowship with his Father. He wanted to talk to his father. That's what he wanted to do. He had a hunger to do that. Nothing could be more natural than for Jesus to pray. Whenever we pray, one of the reasons we ought to pray is just to have this fellowship with God, just to talk to him, just to know that he's listening, just to pour out our heart to someone who understands us better than anybody else ever can or ever will. Another reason we pray is we pray to give thanks and to acknowledge that God has given us all that we have. Understand this, a lot of times we talk about thanks, you know, giving thanks, and we, we don't even think about it because, you know, we tell people just to be thankful. There is, you cannot be thankful if you don't have someone to thank. I mean, really, you always have, thanksgiving always has an object. And whenever we recognize that all that we have, all that we are, all that we shall be is something that comes from God. Every good and perfect gift has come down from Him. We should pray simply just to say thank you and acknowledge that He is the one who has given us all that we need. We ought to pray because we remember that we're not in control of our situation. <laughs> that we can't handle the things that we see in this world all by ourselves. We may think we can, but I will tell you, the day that you begin to think that you are in control of your situation is the day that you start walking away from God. And so there's reasons that we pray, and that, those are just a few of them. But let's talk a little bit about what Jesus had to say about prayer. Number one, when he tells them to pray, he just says, pray this, and he gives just a short, simple outline. And I mean, there's nothing about it that's very fancy. And so this passage here teaches us something about the simplicity of prayer. Uh, there's, 
there's times whenever, you know, I've called upon someone to pray and they haven't wanted to, and, and that's okay. You know, if you get nervous when someone calls upon you to pray, I can understand that. I mean, I have been preaching and praying in front of people for a long time. But if I am in a strange place, I hate it whenever someone calls upon me because I get all tongue-tied and I get all nervous and all that. And I shouldn't be that way, but that's just how I am. But there's sometimes I've asked people, would you mind praying? They'll say, well, I can't pray a pretty prayer. Well, what in the thunder is a pretty prayer anyway? How about it? I mean, really. I mean, listen. God is not impressed with our eloquence. You know, and, and you don't have to be able to use poetic language and, and, and have beautiful words coming out of your mouth whenever you pray. It do, you don't have to do it that way whenever you are alone with God. You don't have to do it that way if you are in a crowd of 500 people leading them in prayer. Eloquence is not required. Some of the sweetest prayers you're ever going to hear are going to come off the lips of someone who doesn't care who's listening as long as it's God. And so, you know, you don't have to do that. All that you have to do to pray a prayer that is pleasing to God is have a heart with the right desires and the right attitudes. And whenever you do that, you can say that that prayer is going to be something that's pleasing to God. It's interesting that in the New Testament, sometimes prayer is likened to incense. As in, it smells good to God. <laughs> anyway. Some of the things he talks about in, in this simple prayer is this, is one of the things that we do is just seek God's glory. It starts off, you know, our Father which art in heaven, or, well, I'm quoting it from Matthew now, but it says, Father, hallowed be your name. And, and this is not a term that we use a whole lot, but first of all, let's understand what Jesus is meaning by the name. Today, a name is just someone's handle. That's really all it is. We call them by a certain name because that's just... You know, that's just what we know to call them to get their attention. But the idea of name back in the, the Jewish culture that Jesus lived in, it had to do with who you are and what you are. You know, sometimes we give people nicknames that really do kind of describe them, you know, and you can, I'm not even going to go into so, what some of them might be, you know. Uh, you call someone squeaky because he has a high squeaky voice or something like that. But whenever we talk about when we say, hallowed be your name, what it's basically saying is this, Father, may all that you are, that's his name, may all that you are be recognized as holy. Everything that we can say about God is based on this foundation of holiness. We talked about that forever a few weeks ago. And so when you pray, you pray that, that his name would be lifted up. You pray that men will recognize God for who he is and pray that God will bring about a situation where men will reverence him and not blaspheme him. We want his name to be recognized as holy in our lives and whenever we come together to worship. We, we seek his glory in another way. We pray for his kingdom to be established completely. You know, we're saying, give... Uh, your kingdom come. In other words, that's what we want. That is what we look for. That is our ultimate hope, is that we long for that day when Christ will come back. Satan is going to be done away with and put out of business completely. And we can live in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness will reign. That is what we look forward to. That is what we long for. And it is not wrong to pray, let your kingdom come, O Lord, because I'm about ready to blow this joint that we live in right now. And uh, anyway, 
Another thing that we see is, is that we're going to pray for the reliance on our needs. In other words, he's saying here, he said, give us each day our daily bread. Give us what we need. He's not saying give us what we're greedy for. It's just give us what we need. You know, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8, it says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the, with the food that I need for each day. And so that's what we ask for. We just ask for him to take care of our needs and trust him to take care of our needs. So, in, so interesting that we worry so much about things that are really things that God can take care of. Another thing is, is that we are going to seek fellowship with him. Forgive us of our sins. If you are going to want to be on the same page with God, there's going to be times that you're going to have to confess your sins to him. It's not that the blood of Christ is ineffective. But what it is, is this, is if you want to stay in fellowship with God, you're going to have to stay on the same page with Him. And there's times that you just need to get down on your knees and say, God, I am sorry. I did what I shouldn't have done. I hurt this person. I disgraced you. I did what, what I should have never done. We need to do that. And another thing that we also need to do is we need to forgive those who have trespassed against us. Because there is no way that we are going to pray like we ought to if we have an unforgiving heart. And I'm going to tell you something. That's harder for some of us than it is for others. I know. I know there's some people, I know my wife, you can just spit in her face and the next day she's just going to hug your neck. You know, and she just doesn't have a problem with that. I'm going to confess to you, I have a really hard, I have a hard time with that. You know, and that's just, that's my DNA. And I have to, I have to fight that all the time, you know. But that's something we need to do. We need to pray that, uh, that God would give us the grace to forgive. We just need to do that. We need strength in a time of trial where it says to lead us not into temptation. Well, God is not going to lead you to do something that is wrong. I just don't see how that can happen. But we are going to go into every temptation that was a trial. And he's saying, you know, protect me in these trials that we go through. As a matter of fact, we could, we could paraphrase that line by saying, keep us from yielding to temptation. Because we're going to go into in trials and we're going to be tempted. And we're going to be tempted sometimes to do the wrong thing. Now verses, I think I've finished that, yeah. Anyway, now then, the next few verses, like verses 7, 5 through 8, talk about boldness in prayer. And, and Jesus talks about boldness in prayer by, by referring to, well, by teaching them with a little parable. He's saying, let's just say that you're there at home one night. You've turned off the television, you've turned off the porch light, you've called in the dogs, and you've gotten in bed, and your kids are all in bed with you. That's the way it was in Jewish culture. You know, when you'd go to bed, the kids would get in bed too, and you're all tucked in, and someone knocks on your door. And, and, you, and it's your friend, it's your next door neighbor, and he says, hey, buddy, you know, I know it's midnight, but... <laughs> I have some unexpected company that showed up and I don't have anything to feed them. Well, it was a big no-no in Jewish culture back then to have someone that's a guest at your house and not have anything to feed them. And so he says, so give me three loaves of bread so I can give this guy something to eat. Well, Jesus said, you know, in this culture, you know, he said, you know, you wouldn't want to get up. You would just say, leave me alone. How about it? You know, I've we've already gone to bed, the kids are all tucked into bed with me, the door shut and locked, you know, no, I'm not going to get up and give you anything. And Jesus said this, he said, you know, but you will get up. It will not be because he is your neighbor, it's because he won't leave you alone. And you're finally going to get up. 
you know, in other words, he's telling us that we don't have to be shy when we pray to him. You know, back my last two years in seminary, I worked for a company that had apartment complexes and rental property, and I was kind of the night manager at one apartment complex. Every now and then we would get some late night callers. Now, this is how I decided whether or not to go to the door. If the knock sounded like this, you know what that meant? I got drunk and I lost my keys. <laughs> and they knew that I wouldn't want to answer the door. But then there were these knocks that we got like this. That was what I called a police knock. And we had some of those too, where someone was beating on the door. And they knew I was going to open the door. They were going to beat on that door until it finally opened. And one time I had someone knock on the door like that, it was because they'd set their apartment on fire. And, you know, and they weren't doing anything about it. They just were beating on my door. Well, I got to the door quick and I put the fire out. Anyway, Jesus here is describing something about boldness in prayer. And boldness in prayer is something that we see in the Scripture. We see it in the, in the life of Abraham. Whenever Abraham, it almost sounded like he was bargaining with God for Lot and for the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see a time in Matthew chapter 15 about a Syrophoenician widow who was not going to give up when she said to come and heal my daughter. And Jesus said, nah, it's not nice to take the bread from the kids and feed it to the dogs. Well, that did not turn her away. She kept at it. Listen, bold praying is faithful praying. Bold praying is not shy praying. Bold praying is, is bold because it believes that God can do exactly what we're asking Him to do. It means that we believe that God will do what we're asking Him to do because He's good. And we also means that we can trust that what He's going to do is the right thing at the right time. So boldness in prayer. Another thing has to do with expectation in prayer. In verses 9 and 10, Jesus said, listen, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Because you see, everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the door will be opened to the one who knocks. This has to do with expectation. Now, imagine this, those of you that are young. That there was a time when you could go to a, what? It was a Coke machine. It didn't care if it said Dr. Pepper or what. If you grew up in the South, it was a Coke machine, and you put a dime in there, and you cranked this handle like that. What did you do? You expected something to come out or come loose, right? Or then it got a quarter, you know, you had cans, and you put a quarter in there, and you'd push the button, and you would look down like that to see it come out because you expected it to happen. I think sometimes we have more confidence in Coke machines than we do in God. Whenever we pray, believe that he's going to do something. Trust him on that. I read this in a thing that Charles Spurgeon said in a, in a, a, a sermon on the week of prayer. Listen to this. He said, it is not possible that God should refuse to hear prayer. It is possible for him to bid the sun stand still and the moon stay her monthly march. It is possible for him to bid the waves freeze in the sea. Possible for him to quench the light of the stars in eternal darkness. But it is not possible for him to refuse to hear prayer that is based on his promise and offered in faith. He can reverse nature, 
but he cannot reverse his own nature. It is in God's nature to hear the prayers of his children. And then in verses 11 through 13, we read about confidence in prayer. Jesus says, if any one of you who has a son, and that son asks for you, ask for a fish from you. How many of you would give him a snake? You know, it'd be like you're telling your dad, I want a piece of that catfish. And he said, well, how about this copperhead instead? You know, you wouldn't do anything like that. He said, if your son asked you for an egg, would you give him a scorpion instead? And then he says, don't you understand what I'm saying? If you being as bad as you are still know enough to give good gifts to your children, how much more certain is it that your heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is confidence in prayer. We can trust God to give us what is right. He is not going to give us a serpent when we ask for a piece of fish. By the same token, He is not going to give us a serpent if we don't need a serpent. Another thing is this, is we don't have to worry about the way that God is going to answer our prayers. Sometimes we feel like that if we don't word our prayer just exactly right, God is going to catch us on a, in a loophole and pull a trick on us. I remember hearing this story whenever I was just a, a boy in grade school. And it was, our pastor was telling this. He was, a, uh, he was a chaplain in the Air Force Reserve. And he talked about a young soldier who became a pilot. And, uh, you know, it was during the Korean War. And, and uh, one day he was just flying and just there at the base here in the U.S. And something went wrong with his landing and his plane crashed and he died. Well, at his funeral, his parents were there and his mother said, well, you know, we always prayed that he wouldn't die on the battlefield. And so I guess God answered our prayer. It's as if to say, God got a fast one over on us that time, didn't he? Listen, we can trust God. We can trust him when he prays. You know, this is a thing that we have to remember is have confidence in prayer. Expect great things for, for God to do great things in prayer. We can trust Him. We may not be able to trust everybody else, but we can trust God. Let's pray together. Now, our Father, I pray that Your hand will be upon us. I pray that You would just light that light up our life with a desire to talk to You, with a hunger to talk to you and to draw near to you, to cast all of our cares upon you because we know you care for us. Oh Lord, you are so great, gracious. What a privilege it is to be able to talk to you. What a privilege it is to be able to receive wisdom from you when we do talk to you and to know that all things are in your power and under your control and we don't have to worry. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.